Oh, have you ever been on a patient that pops a varicose vein? Yeah, yes, I have. It looks like somebody's gutted a deer. Absolutely. It's amazing how much pressure that those things will build up. First time I ever uh, went on, it was in an elevator. And the entire floor of the elevator was covered in blood. It was running through the gap at the, at the door. Oh, God. Yeah. And then when I ran just recently was a little lady at home. She basically, so basically with a varicose vein, the, the vein has become exceptionally hard. Generally, it comes from people who are standing a lot. Um, waitresses can get varicose veins. Uh, when I was a checker at Safeway, that was one of the things they commonly wanted us to do was make sure that we would step and, and walk in place right. to make sure that we can circulate blood back up. And I'll talk about right. why that's important later. But anyway, and then so what happens is the vein becomes very hard. And then if you hit it just wrong, it also becomes very fragile. If you hit it just wrong, it will actually have an explosive delivery. And if you want to learn about explosive deliveries, listen to our OB Gin <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, explosive delivery. And it literally, like I said, looked like somebody gutted a deer in her bedroom. It just sprayed blood oh, on the wow. wall. Now, you can lose a lot of blood about with this. Luckily, it's very easy to control. You put direct pressure on it for a little bit, and it should stop bleeding. Oh, yeah. So... It's not, I mean, it is life-threatening because of the amount of blood you can lose if you don't do something. But as long as you do something productive, <laughs> then you should be fine. Well, and anyone's going to have a natural impulse to cover any bleed that they see. Right. I mean, that's... Well, I mean, if it's warm, wet, bleed. cover it up. Right. You know, if it's warm, wet, not yours, don't touch it. If it's warm and wet, cover it up. That's going to make going pee a lot harder. Mm. <laughs> it's suddenly got difficult. If it's warm, wet, and not normal. Okay. Well, there you see. You didn't up. say that, yeah. though. Well, I mean, it's one of the first rules. What are some of the rules I learned about EMS in my par- from my paramedic instructor? Uh, if it's after midnight and you're on scene of a call and there's not somebody drunk, keep looking because you're not – you don't have anybody yet. <laughs> you haven't found uh, the scene yet. If you find anything that looks disgusting or makes you nauseous, cover it up with a 4 by 4 There you go. Uh, if it's warm, wet, not yours, don't touch it. Yeah, all rules to live by in EMS. Oh, exactly. Yeah, generally speaking, kind of rules to live by, I mean, except for the one about no. finding the drunk person on scene. Right. <laughs> and quite that qu- does work if you're out drinking with your buddies. That's true. If you get ready to go somewhere and you can't find all the drunks, you're missing somebody. Yeah. So <laughs> where do we go? No, that, that that depends on you having an accurate head count at the beginning of the night. It's true. Yeah. So. Anyway, welcome to medical stuff. My Mark, <laughs> welcome to medical stuff. My name is Mark. Oh, the humanity of it, Frank. I'm, and that is Chris. There's blood everywhere, Fingston. <laughs> one of my one of my early memories of working with Mark uh, was, for some odd reason, we were going out to this call, and there was a motor vehicle accident. Probably because they called us for help. Probably for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, but. It, but us for help mm-hmm. for some reason. that That's the mystery. Well, I'm a firm believer that if they knew us, they wouldn't let us touch them. That's true. But Mark and I, we were going out to this call, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I started doing an impression of like a brand new volunteer on his first day of a bad call. And we we're talking about activating life flight, the uh, air ambulance oh, service. Yeah. yeah. And so I just started going... Activate the whirly bird. <laughs> There's blood everywhere. Well, that's, that's because we were laughing because generally PSAPs try to very, maintain a very professional tone and verbiage. A PSAP is essentially a dispatch center. Right. It's public safety act, public safety access point. So <laughs> this person would be like, they kind of sounded a little wigged out. They did. They're very excited about a call. Like it was, I mean, it's really bad. And rather than calling it maybe like a lateral impact. Oh, yeah. Go three for a T-bone. Oh, and yeah. that's Because that's where we came up with the names T-bone and Slim. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. T-bone or Slim. <laughs> Slim is bad. It's in the whirly bird. <laughs> and we did these impressions the whole way to the scene. I oh, distinctly yeah. remember getting to the scene and being like, what are we going on? Yes. <laughs> what, what's this call? And this is why I say if they really knew us, they'd never let us touch them. <laughs> but today... Today, we're going to talk about the cardiovascular system. What is the cardiovascular system, Chris? I don't know. I was hoping you did. (laughs) Let's pull out the outline. Yeah. Now, the cardiovascular system is the system in your body that's responsible for moving blood around, to put it bluntly. And you've heard Mark and I, if you've listened to any other episode, we- (laughs) Renal. You know, I mean, a lot of them. We talk about- the cardiovascular system, and we compare it to essentially plumbing. You got a pump, 
You have a container and you have fluid. The pump is your heart. The container is primarily your veins and your arteries. Well, everywhere the blood goes. Absolutely. Which uh, includes. Yeah. Which includes the chambers of your heart. The renal system. Yeah, absolutely. Which does not include the liver. (laughs) Uh, That's a lesson Mark learned recently. Uh, (laughs) Right. And then you have the fluid, which is your blood Mm -hmm. and all the many things uh, that are in it. And the kind of here, here's the thing about the, uh, this system as a paramedic, this system is often the one that concerns you the most. Your sickest patients have problems with this system. Oh boy. This is the symptom that pretty much keeps you alive. So in many cases from trauma to disease, it's ultimately the degradation of this system that actually causes death in a patient. Well, in the sepsis episode, we talk about one of the definitions of sepsis is that the infection has made it into the bloodstream. Because if you have an infection in your kidney, if you have an infection in your lungs, it's not going to go anywhere until it gets into the bloodstream. Because that is the highway to the rest of the body. Right. Once it does get into the uh, bloodstream, you're going to become very sick very quickly because it goes everywhere. Right. How long does it take for a drop of blood to go around the body, Chris? I don't know. Really? Hmm. Hmm. This is just awkward now because I don't know either. <laughs> really? I'd like to point out the uh, you did the prep on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you notice there's nowhere I even mentioned that. <laughs> now we know why. Yeah. I didn't know. Um but again, but back, yeah, back to that being sepsis. But what ultimately kills you is eventually you go into what's called septic shock, where your cardiovascular system is no longer able to maintain a blood pressure and keep blood going to your brain. If blood doesn't get to your brain, oxygen is not getting to your brain. Hmm. Glucose about, is not getting to your brain. About and, one minute. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and you die. So it is ultimately the failure of this system that kills everybody. The function of the cardiovascular system is to provide oxygenated blood to itself and other organ systems, as well as remove waste. And that waste can be anything from uh, lactate that comes from, uh, like, for example, when you work out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, one of the waste things that your uh, muscles will give off is lactate. And actually, it's that conversion of lactate to lactic acid that causes the burn mm-hmm. that you feel. Right. That's when two days later, you can barely walk. Absolutely. Because the acid is actually burning the muscle. And that's why I don't work out. Exactly. And I'm lazy. Um, CO2, carbon dioxide, as uh, after... The uh, red blood cells go and deliver oxygen. The cells give a waste product. That's carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. And that gets carried through the blood back up to the lungs to be expelled. Right. And, you know, lactic acid and everything is very bad to the point. Do you remember mask pants? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. When I was in school, we trained on them. Right. Uh, when I started, they were still in the protocol. Oh, wow. So what mask, t- mask pants are is military anti-shock trousers. They came from the Air Force. And we touched on this in a previous episode. I'm not sure which one, but I think, hey, we talked about head trauma, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, so what they do is when pilots were in high G turns, they will inflate, increasing the pressure so that the, pa- the uh, patient, the pilot does not pass out. Medical myths. Because I remember I said pulling G's and Spencer oh, gave me right. crap. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they would raise, they basically, re- uh, they raise your peripheral vascular resistance, thereby keeping your blood pressure up. Because in high G turns, your blood is going to go to the lowest part that you're doing it. So if you make a bank where you're turning in towards your bottom, all your blood will be forced away from your brain. Fun fact, if they turn at an arcing position where the G forces go towards the head, they can have what's called a red out because they get Ooh. too much blood up into their head. Oh, damn. So I think they should make their helmet squeeze their head. No. <laughs> so anyway, one of the reasons we don't use mask pants now it's because what they it's found. It's too tight. It's too tight. <laughs> it's hurting me. And so that's when Jim landed with the We do not balls. carry or train on mask pants anymore. No, didn't work out. Um, because what they were finding is, although that was working for the jet pilot, jet pilots, is because it was short term. You do the bank, they would inflate. You get done with the bank, your G's would come back to normal, they'd deflate. Yo, G's. Uh, well, when they saw this in the military back in the 50s and 60s, they thought, hmm, this could work for trauma patients. We're going to auto-infuse that blood pressure, that blood back into the central system, thereby giving more blood for the body to work off while it's bleeding out or hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. And that would bring, you know, that would be good. 
Well, they finally did a study on this. And what they were finding is that mask pants were so horribly bad for trauma patients, they cut the study short. Oh, wow. Because what they were finding was, A, it wasn't auto-infusing the blood back into the central system. It was just raising their peripheral vascular resistance. And then once they finally took the mask pants off, there was so much lactic acid and other byproducts in that system that it was dumping all that back into the central system, which is already sick and couldn't handle that kind of load and it would kill the patient. Wow. So that's that's a good reason to not use those. Yeah. So, yeah. So blood is delivered uh, to the liver and kidneys, uh, which is going to... I'm sorry. F- I'm going to jump back in here real quick. No, go for it. So the mask pants. <laughs> yeah. You and I know what they look like. People out there might want to know. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. These were, basically, they were pants. They look like pants. And you would lay them out. You get the patient onto them. And then they would wrap around the legs and the lower abdomen. And they had air bladders in them. They would Velcro over on themselves. And they have air bladders in them that you would pump up to create pressure against your legs and your lower abdomen. Yeah. And that's why they would deflate them. Blood flow would return in full back to those areas thereby dumping all of that waste product back into the central system that was already sick. A lot a lot of physicians that weren't familiar with them would also just cut them. I've heard a lot of stories of that. They're not one-use products. No, no. They're, they're, well, I mean, now they, they are. <laughs> like that particular one was. But um, they don't work so well with holes in them, oddly enough. Right. Uh, so, yeah. but And another function that the cardiovascular system serves is to actually – clean out your blood. So the cardiovascular system is responsible for delivering your blood to your liver and your kidneys, which can filter out unneeded substance from the blood. It also serves as a highway for the delivery of hormones and components of the immune system, and it can even regulate body temperature. However, in order to perform those functions, blood pressure must be maintained at an optimal level. And that's what we're going to be focusing on uh, for much of this discussion today. So the pump, container, and the fluid can all impact the blood pressure and can and can be manipulated by the body to kind of make up for one another when one of those systems fails. When we think about the cardiovascular system is think of it as a three-legged stool. If any one of those legs go, goes out, the whole thing can collapse. And so it's our job as paramedics and it's the body's job as, you know, a living organism to maintain all three of those systems, the pump, the fluid, and the container in order to keep a healthy cardiovascular system. So before I go any further, let's talk a little bit about blood pressure. A lot of people are familiar with blood pressure. Uh, but simply put, blood pressure is the pressure that your blood is exerting on the walls of your arteries. Uh, so it's expressed as systolic over diastolic. So you oftentimes hear numbers, you know, it's 120 over 80. You have the higher number and the lower number. What that is, so systolic, that's the higher number, that is the pressure of that the blood is exerting on your on the walls of your arteries when your heart is squeezing. That's called the systolic phase. Diastolic, the lower number, that is the pressure that is maintained in your arteries when the heart is relaxed. Okay, and that's called the diastolic phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, per the American Heart Association, anything that is chronically, which means consistently, time after time, over one thirty over eighty is now considered hypertension. However, I do want to make a quick note here. Blood pressure can and often does fluctuate above this temporarily to deal with stress. And I'll actually tell you, you can take two blood pressures five minutes apart on a perfectly healthy person, and they're going to be a little different. Not wildly different, but slightly different. Blood pressure just varies that much. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that your body is going to react to its need. If you're laying on a bed or on the floor, Mm -hmm. just laying down flat, and you go to sit up, you're going to, you may get a head rush. You may get a little bit dizzy. Why? Because gravity is now acting upon your blood system, your cardiovascular system, differently. And your body has to react to that. It takes a little time. It takes a little bit of time. If you go straight from laying down to standing up, or you go from sitting to standing up very quickly, you can have the same, some people, oh, I just got a head rush. Yeah. And that's because your blood pressure has temporarily dropped off. Yeah. And it takes a second for your body to catch up. Now, as you get older that becomes a more dramatic effect. In fact, we go on a lot of calls where you have little ladies or little men that stand up too quickly and pass out. They call that a syncopal episode. Uh, you also see a lot in uh, teenagers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like uh, teenagers with a 
A lot of times when they're young and you're healthy, your blood pressure is just low. Uh, but anyway, so hypotension, that's the other side of the spectrum. That is low blood pressure. There's no real set standard. Uh, however, the Mayo Clinic considers anything below 90 over 60 to be considered hypotension. So the things that can cause hypotension or too low of a blood pressure, um, it's really, especially when we're paramedics, low blood pressure, uh, at least in my book, is largely dependent or like what I worry about treating is largely dependent upon my patient's symptoms. So some patients get young, healthy, athletic people, 90 over 60, but they're fine. Their skin condition looks good. They have no altered mental status whatsoever. I'm not terribly concerned about dumping a ton of fluid in that person to try and raise their blood pressure. Well, when I see a low blood pressure, one of the first things I ask is, what does your blood pressure normally run? And some people just run low. Mm -hmm. However, if I see the same blood pressure 90 over 60 in someone who has a diagnosis of chronic hypertension, who their blood pressure should normally be higher, that's going to raise my index of suspicion for something to be wrong. Mm -hmm. So hypotension is something that can really be relative uh, to kind of what's going on. Things that'll cause acute low blood pressure, I mean, right off the bat is if you have a hemorrhage and you're bleeding out. Right. And that's that can either be obvious and external where you have blood all over the floor from a gunshot wound, or it can be an internal bleed. So just like a GI bleed, which is where you've got blood, um, you, know, you can have a bleed in your colon or in your stomach or in your esophagus and you're losing blood internally. So those are some of the causes of uh, hypotension. So. Well, I mean. Did you touch on like an anaphylaxis hypertension? No, but that's a good thing to touch on. Right. So you can, so Chris was talking about bleeding out, having an external bleed. There can be an internal bleed. Mm -hmm. Or you can have something that's just causing the, the container to get bigger. Right. And an allergic reaction is one of those things. Absolutely. You know, you'll have a vasodilation, which means your arteries and your veins have expanded. Yeah. As opposed to, say, vasoconstriction. Yeah. So although you haven't affected the fluid volume, or the ability of the pump to work, mm -hmm. you still get hypotension because you made the container bigger. Right. And we're going to talk about that specifically and like different things that go on with the containers. But anaphylaxis is a serious condition because, again, like we talked about, it impacts the cardiovascular system. And what ultimately kills a patient in anaphylaxis is the fact that the cardiovascular system is no longer able to maintain a blood pressure to vital organs. Mm -hmm. You get organ failure, including your brain. If that fails, you're kind of screwed and you die. Okay. So, God damn it. I was going to say something because that kind of a perfect segue into something. I'm gonna call. Oh, you did, you did say something. It was God damn it. I was going to say something. That's true. And if you want to learn more about anaphylaxis, we do have a uh, allergic reaction slash anaphylaxis episode uh, as well. So, Let's start breaking it down into the different components. So, like we said, we got the pump, the container, the fluid. Let's talk about the pump, the heart. Mm -hmm. Now, we could probably do an episode on each of these three components. No problem. Right. Two episodes on some of them. We do have an episode on the heart, which is a little more in-depth into the structure of the heart and kind of how it works. That's mm -hmm. our cardio – it's a cardiology episode. Uh, so, But I am going to go ahead and do kind of a brief overview of the heart. So the heart is just a pump. That's what it does. It squeezes, it pushes blood around. It's got two sides. Each side has an atria and a ventricle. The atria are on the top, ventricles are on the bottom. Deoxygenated blood comes in through the right atria. The right atria then pushes that blood down to the right ventricle. Right vent, well, the ventricle squeeze and the blood goes out of the right ventricle uh, through the pulmonary artery, which is unique. Why? Go listen to cardio cardiology. <laughs> we ain't going to give it up. <laughs> no, it's because the only artery in the body that carries deoxygenated blood. Right. Typically, arteries carry oxygenated blood away from the heart. This one's got to be a little different. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. It's the Spencer of arteries. <laughs> it is. Uh, so that heads up to your lungs. It grabs oxygen. And that heads back down to the left side of your heart. Comes in through the pulmonary veins, which are unique because they are the only veins that carry oxygenated blood. Mm-hmm. And that comes back in through the left uh, atria. We get another squeeze. Blood comes out of the left atria into the left ventricle. We get a squeeze down there. And <laughs> we <laughs> and who doesn't enjoy a squeeze down there every once in a while? <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, the ventricle squeezes and pushes the blood uh, up into the aorta and out to the rest of the body. So when you hear about that, uh, the typical heartbeat sound, the wub-dub, wub-dub. The wub-dub. Lub-dub? 
I mean, maybe, you know, in the 50s when you went to paramedic school, but. That's your dad. <laughs> Fair. Close, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 70s. Yeah. yeah. Closer than I was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, that uh, lub dub, the lub is the top part I of the half. Just go on. Just go on. <laughs> It hurt me. <laughs> uh, that's the, the love is the uh, top half of the heart. That's the two atria squeezing, and that dub is the uh, the ventricle squeezing. Well, and this is what gives you your pulse. Yes. So we do actually. There is actually a device out there called a left ventricle assist device that will assist the heart in pumping blood around the body. These are for patients who are very very sick. And one of the things that we notice with this, and a lot of people talk about, is you don't have a pulse. Yeah, you got this device that takes. You have this device that takes over for you. Um, well, it's it's a constant flow device as opposed to the heart. Right. The heart is not pumping blood one hundred percent of the time. No. It's that compressing of the ventricles that pushes the blood around in spurts that is causing the pulse when you reach down and feel a pulse on a patient. Yeah, the LVAD or left ventricular assist device mm-hmm. is just a constant flow, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, so yeah, you can't get a you can't get a pulse on them. Yeah, and it's um, hardly alive, right? It's like a vampire scenario. Uh, but no, and these patients are like Mark said, they're very sick, and this is not a permanent solution. Um, an L, right. yeah, an LVAD is a uh, stopgap till we can uh, fix the problem, which is typically gonna be heart transplant. Um, fun fact: Dick Cheney had an LVAD while he was in office. Really? Yes. Hmm. He had a uh, major cardiac event and ended up on a uh, on an LVAD, and they uh, they did an interview with him and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I th- I believe he is no longer on the LVAD, right? Uh, because I don't think people stay on the LVAD that long. I mean, well, yeah, like I said, basically these are patients who are in uh, congestive heart failure. So every time your heart beats, only a certain percentage of that blood actually gets ejected. Yeah, and that's called your ejection fraction. And the higher that number, the better. Yeah. But if you've had damage done to your heart, that number can become very low to the point that even simple exercise like walking to the car, walking into the kitchen will leave you so breathless you have to stop and sit down and wait for your body to be able to recover from that exertion. These are the patients that get the LVAD. Yeah. Because they've got to the point where they're essentially non-functional. And with the LVAD, they can return to a semi-normal life. They can go to the store. They can go out. But they have to have somebody with them 24 hours a day who are familiar with it. They generally have a companion. And this is run on batteries. So if your batteries start running low, Mm -hmm. kind of up a creek. Yeah, it's not like you just have to go without your laptop for the day. Right. You can't pop into Albertsons and buy some D-cell batteries. These are specialized batteries for this. Could you imagine, like, in today's society, if they had a plug-in for the LVAD where you could charge your phone if you really had to, but it would drain your LVAD, <laughs> how many people would start taking that risk? It's like, man, I could die, yeah. but, I got, but I have to listen to medical stuff I have, today. <laughs> I have got to tweet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like we talked about, the core, the core function of cardiovascular system is to maintain that blood pressure. So, what can the heart do to maintain that blood pressure. Well, it pretty much you can do two things. The, the heart's a pretty simple pump, okay? So the first thing that can happen is that the heart rate can be adjusted, okay? And that's actually referred to as chronotropy, um, chrono meaning time. This is the primary method that the heart's gonna use to maintain, um, to maintain blood pressure. And where you're gonna see this, and the reason the heart rate increases is if it's gonna pump more times per minute, that's more of those spurts putting blood out there and that's going to bring the pressure up. So in an event such as there's a couple reasons to do that. So let's say, for example, a stressful situation occurs. Okay. If you guys have ever heard of a fight or flight um, response, your body's going to release a hormone, several of them, but epinephrine and norepinephrine are two of the ones that are going to float around. And what this is going to cause, because when your body wants to respond, it wants lots of, it wants to make sure it's getting blood to vital organs, skeletal muscle, or well, skeletal muscle, and to your brain to respond. And so it's going to want to increase its blood pressure. So those two hormones are going to do a couple things. First thing it's going to do, because we're talking about the heart, it's going to increase that heart rate. It's also going to cause constriction of your blood vessels. So it's easier to generate pressure because you have a smaller container. It's going to do a couple other things like it's going to cause your pupils to dilate, to take in more light and those kind of things. But that's a different different podcast, different time. And 
Yeah, so the heart rate's going to increase. That's going to help maintain blood pressure. Your heart rate will also increase uh, to maintain blood pressure in the event of losing lots of fluid. So if you have an internal bleed, for example, you'll see an increase in heart rate to try and make up for that. So where the body's does not have enough fluid to maintain the pressure, it's going to take what fluid it does have and pump extra hard. And that's one of the things that it's going to do there. So the other thing it could do is it's going to increase its contraction force. And the hormones in the body that cause an increase in rate also increase the force of the contraction of the heart. And all that is, is it's going to beat faster and it's going to squeeze harder. And what's going to be trying to do there, and Mark already mentioned uh, ejection fraction, it's trying to increase its own ejection fraction with each one of those beats. So you get a higher ejection fraction at a higher rate to move more fluid volume out to the rest of the body. Now, the other thing it can do, if there is a reason to drop the heart rate or, or to lower the blood pressure, what your heart can do is simply slow the rate. Mm-hmm. That is how your heart is a major player. In fact, a lot of times uh, in the field, when we want to try and control blood pressure, we we try to control the rate of the heart with medications that we give. Or we'll try and pace the heart. If the heart's going too slow and can't maintain a blood pressure, we'll use a pacemaker. I like to just wrap my arms around the patient and squeeze as hard as I can, putting as much pressure on it. You're basically like human mass pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, the, and then uh, I want to see that study. All right, let's see how well hugs from Mark have been uh, helping patients. (laughs) Um, So that's how the heart can uh, impact blood pressure. So we'll talk a little bit about what are some of the potential pump problems uh, that we uh, have going on. Well, you have dysrhythmias is one of them. So you can have you can have a heart rate that's too fast and a heart rate that is too slow, and you kind of end up at the same end point regardless of which way you go with this. Yeah. Uh, if your heart is running too fast, and what's the fastest heart rate you've seen? Um, not not very fast. You probably have me beat. The fastest one I think I've seen is uh, like it would be. It's probably gonna be like two thirty. Uh, the fastest I've seen is two sixty three. <laughs> yeah, uncontrolled atrial fibrillation. Oh, yeah. And she was thinking about talking to us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, like Mark was saying, I mean, one of the things that can happen is this is when the heart rate is too fast and the heart really isn't doing it on purpose. Right. There's a problem. Well, the reason this affects your blood pressure is basically your heart does not have enough time to refill before it's pumping again. Because if you have, so if you have a rate of 240, divide that by 60, Chris, do it. Do oh, that's it. actually not that hard do for it. <laughs> so that means every time, or your heart is beating four times Every second. Yeah. So what happens is your your heart, the ventricle, your body just can't move the blood fast enough into the ventricles of the heart to compensate for that, especially if you're in, in an uncontrolled AFib. An uncontrolled AFib is just atrial fibrillation above 100. Yeah. Uh, so that means that the ventricles are not doing their job. And so the heart, the vent, or I'm sorry, the atrium are not doing their job to fill the ventricles. So the ventricles are trying to do it off of passive fill. And what happens is that you decrease the amount of blood moving around your body because the ventricles don't have time to fill up. Right. Atrial fibrillation is essentially a condition where the top half of your heart, instead of getting a nice squeeze like it normally would, it just kind of sits there and wiggles a little bit. Okay. Wiggle it just a little bit. (laughs) And those create a ton of little electrical impulses. And so the way the heartbeat conducts is every now and again, the electrical impulse created by atrial fibrillation is strong enough to go ahead and pass through the normal system. And people actually live with these irregular heart rates mm-hmm. typically. Atrial fibrillation you can live for with decades. Yeah, and people often do. But like Mark said, if it gets a little out of hand, right. it's time to go ahead and knock yeah, you it start off. Getting that, uh, you start getting that rapid rate, and it can really run off with you. Apparently, 263 right. being the fastest I've <laughs> exactly. seen. So that was more than four beats per second. Wow. that, that that's, that's blazing. It is. And she was conscious alert, and she's had it happen before. Jeez, Louise. Yeah. She was at work. Dang. She was like 40. What'd she do for a living? She worked at school. Well, that'll raise your heart rate. Right. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. So you have the other end of the spectrum, which is a very slow heart rate. Right. Uh, slowest I've seen with a conscious patient, been right around 25 beats per minute. Wow. So you're now at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Mine was 30. We right. Pay, we paced that guy. Uh, yeah. No, my patient had a good blood pressure. I was sitting there talking to us. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. So a lot of times it'll happen, like what causes a heart a heart rate to go too slow. Often this is due to some kind of damage to the heart muscle itself or to the conduction system in the heart. Or external uh, effects like medication. Absolutely. In fact, that's a very common one. Mm-hmm. Uh, metoprolol, which is a what we call a beta blocker, essentially it essentially blocks the hormones that cause a heart rate to go fast. Right. Um, that can cause heart rates to slow down to the point that they just don't maintain a good enough blood pressure. What was the one that was notorious for bradycardias? Oh, I don't you know. You don't see it much anymore. Oh, uh, digoxin? There you go. Yeah. Which is made from initially... Foxglove plant, isn't it? Purple foxglove, yes. Purple foxglove yeah. plant. Uh, yeah, uh, digitalis or digoxin, it was very common to see. If you saw bradycardia, one of the first things you did was look at their medalist for digox. For Are they on dig? Yeah. yeah. You yep. know. So when you have a, the pulse running too slow, uh, basically it's just not moving enough blood. Yeah. And so although you're maybe getting a good ejection fraction when the heart does beat, your blood pressure drops off because it's just not moving a, a, a big enough volume of it. Yeah. Now, professional athletes, triathletes, uh, I read one somewhere that uh, Lance Armstrong's resting heart rate was in the 30s. Yeah. Because his heart was so strong mm-hmm. that didn't enough. He, he was in such good shape that, yes, you will actually, uh, just your heart rate will just chill out to the point where you just, you're just yeah. you know, you're half the normal heart rate of everybody else. Well, each beat that his heart put put out or each beat that his heart did just put out a large enough blood volume to mm-hmm. maintain his blood pressure. Yeah. Additionally, if you have a good vasculature or veins and arteries that are healthy, you don't need the same amount of pressure right. to deliver blood around because they're not providing any resistance. So you talked about systolic earlier, and I'll be honest, I checked out for a few minutes. No worries. <laughs> uh, did you talk about diastolic? I did, okay. uh, briefly. So basically I just defined diastolic as this is the pressure that is in your arteries when your heart is not squeezing. So it's the amount of pressure that your heart has to overcome to move blood. Yes. So. And the high, okay. So the higher that number, the more work your heart has to do on a daily basis. So for us – we look focus more really for our positions as paramedics on the top number. Right. So if your blood pressure gets above 160, 180, or 200 above, we start worrying about a stroke. Yes. Or stroke-like symptoms. So what, the, what could literally happen is this is too much pressure for the pipes. Mm-hmm. You can literally burst a pipe. Just, just like that. <laughs> I didn't know you could make that sound. <laughs> That's the last thing you hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mark takes you out. <laughs> No, you hear that, you go, did you hear that? And then you're done. Oh, gotcha. I, I, thought, I thought you were like, this is like some serial killer fantasy I you just have. walk through random places, look at people go. And, and then they're drop. done. Yeah, they drop. <laughs> um, but long term, <clears throat> what you need to worry about also, probably more importantly, is the bottom number. Because if that number is high, the upper number is also going to be high. And what can happen is, is it's called Starling's Principle. Oh. And what is Starling's principle, Chris? I believe – now, I thought Starling's principle or Starling's law, whatever it is, is the volume of blood. That's wrong. Starling's uh, principle or Starling's law, whichever you want to call it, basically states that uh, if you have a rubber band and it's stretched for too long, it loses its elasticity. Okay. And so if the heart is having to work hard to overcome the pressure in your bloodstream, eventually the musculature is going to lose its elasticity. And this is what starts sending you into congestive heart failure. Yeah. Because your ventricle is just not able, is not strong enough anymore to pump the blood at the level it needs to. And this will actually cause the heart to enlarge. Right. Slightly. You get these, uh, these the walls of the heart, they no longer have any elasticity. And so instead of... Uh, contracting to normal size, one of the early diagnoses and early size, uh, signs of potential congestive heart failure is an enlarged heart. Cardiomegaly. Yeah. And it becomes congestive heart failure <coughs> when this enlarged heart is no longer able uh, to perform its function. It well, fails. with congestive heart failure, and we go over this in the cardiovascular episode, basically your heart, the cardiomegaly and congestive heart failure is primarily caused by left-sided heart failure. Right? Yes. What's the primary cause of right-sided heart failure? Left-sided heart failure. Left-sided heart failure. So the left-sided uh, ventricle is what pushes the blood around the body. When the left side is weak, weaker than the right side, 
more blood is being pumped into your lungs than it can pump out. So initially, you're going to start getting feet swelling mm -hmm. or lower extremity swelling, usually the feet. And eventually, you get a back pressure that causes fluid to build up into your lungs. And that's lethal. Absolutely. And that is actually one of those interesting, I'll try not to digress too much, but that's actually one of those interesting calls where we have a cardiac problem that will present as a breathing problem. And it can be challenging for paramedics to really treat that because on one hand, uh, one, sometimes what we'll try and do is you'll have an issue where you have fluid building up on the lungs. Well, increasing blood pressure in that scenario can sometimes cause more fluid to build up on the lungs. But at the same time, if you have a patient that presents with fluid on the lungs and low blood pressure, that indicates a pump problem. So we'll give drugs like norepinephrine or dopamine to try and get the pump working well again. And that can actually help to move fluid around, get it off the lungs, and restore their cardiovascular system back to a normal functioning system. So what's system. one of our first-line drugs? For? Congestive heart failure. Uh, well, for congestive heart failure, if they, if they have a decent blood pressure, one of the things we'll actually give is nitroglycerin. Right. And this goes back to the size of the container affecting pressure. Yeah. And so nitroglycerin causes a dilation of your veins and arteries. It's just them getting bigger. And that lowers that pressure that the heart has to work against, that the left side has to work against, allowing the fluid to come off the lungs. Have you ever given nitro to a patient they feel better, and then as soon as the nitro wears off, they are much worse. Um, I haven't had that happen, but I can imagine. Oh, yeah, I have. I uh, gave a lady two nitro. It's because you're not a very good paramedic. <laughs> We've covered this. <laughs> we have an episode about how bad of a paramedic Mark is. It's a really just all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I'm, I'm being a, these la this episode and diabetes, I just decided to be a jerk to yeah, you. I don't much. know why. And I'm going to cry all the way home. This is actually the winding down of the don't show. Don't make me this go is, upstairs and get your wife. This is where it is. I know. So, Jesse, he's being mean to me. If you want to hear Jesse, she's on the OB Gin episode, <laughs> <laughs> medical stuff. So anyway, um, releases the back pressure, and this is you're affecting everything by making the container bigger, right? Yeah, with the nitroglycerin. With the nitroglycerin. One thing we also used to give was, and we still do in certain circumstances, it's a diuretic, Lasix. Right. Yeah. Now, in our in our protocols right now, Lasix is fairly reserved. Right. Used to be given all the time in large dosages. So now if the patient is on Lasix, we give 20 milligrams. If they're not on Lasix, we give 40 milligrams. That was opposite. If they're on Lasix, they got 40. The point is <laughs> that we used to double their daily dosage. Right. So if they were taking 100 milligrams of Lasix we a day. We them another 200. Yeah. And what this is trying to do is this is trying to affect the fluid in the system. Right. By basically making them pee it out. Mm -hmm. and, and it will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Put, <laughs> put the chucks a, down on the gurney. Yeah, it's a very effective drug. Yeah. What they were finding was, is yeah, yeah, we're getting the fluid off. They're peeing it out. To the point that they're now hypovolemic and we're creating other issues. It also causes a shift in potassium. Right. Which because the heart uses to pump. It draw, the potassium, uh, potassium follows the Lasix, fluid follows potassium. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we don't give it near as much. In fact, I, I don't wonder if that's one of the drugs that will eventually just drop off. Mm, I Maybe. Yeah. I'm not saying I, I think, wouldn't necessarily I want I think they to. want to keep it in there for the simple fact of... If you have that sick patient that you need to get the fluid off of there. Might as well start now. Yeah, you just get going. But they really want us to be uh, careful with how much we're giving. So let's go ahead and move on to the next component of the cardiovascular system. So we just talked about the pump. Next up is the container. So the container, that's your arteries and the veins of the body. That accounts for the majority of the container that the blood resides in. Uh, oh, fun fact. About uh, 8 to 10% of the average human's weight is just all blood. Of a strange definition of fun. Yeah, I hang out with you, so <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly I do. Uh, so arteries are designed to actively push blood out to the rest of the body. This blood is oxygenated uh, with except the one exception, and mm -hmm. that would be the pulmonary artery that pushes blood from the heart up to the lungs to go get oxygenated. Um, so arteries. The structure of the, of the arteries. So they're designed to push blood away. So arteries are, uh, they have a thicker wall 
and it's a muscular wall and arteries can actually and arteries can actually use this muscle within the arterial wall to actually help push blood around the body itself can also use this muscle to control blood pressure by changing the size uh, of an artery. And that's how blood is moved out from the heart. Veins, on the other hand, are designed to return blood back to the heart for recirculation. And they actually have much thinner walls on veins. Now, there is a little bit of muscle um, in the wall of the vein, but its primary way of moving blood is actually relying on your skeletal muscles, your biceps, your triceps, uh, your calves. That uh, is actually what helps move blood along. So as your skeletal muscles move around, it causes some squeezing in these veins to push blood back up. And the veins actually have a series of one-way valves in them. And these valves just don't allow the blood to go backwards. And so with the skeletal muscles squeezing on the veins, the blood gets pushed up through these valves. It can't go backwards and eventually makes its way back to the heart for mm -hmm. recirculation uh, back around uh, the body again. So that's actually one of the things, uh, one of the challenges when starting an, uh, an IV, an intravenous line, is sometimes you can hit a valve. You can hit one of these valves. And it's actually kind of fascinating because you hit one of these valves and you'll go to draw blood and you'll, you'll feel it buzzing. Because mm -hmm. it'll just sit there and vibrate as we're as we're trying to pull against it because they're designed not to let blood flow back. Right. And so you'll get this little vibration. And it's actually uh, – I found a few patients that have found that vibration terribly irritating. Because mm -hmm. it's just like a little buzz just right there on the arm. They can't get it – can't get their heads around it. So uh, – and again, that blood is usually deoxygenated. Again, there's one exception to that. And that's the pulmonary veins. There's four of them. Which we do not start an IV on. Yeah, we do not. Well, tell you what. If you do, well, one, you're fired, but <laughs> but two, good on you, man. Oh, right, I mean, yeah, really. no, we're impressed, and we're going to shake your hand Yeah, as we give you your last paycheck. Yeah, we're going to shake your hand and then hold you there so the cops can cuff you, exactly. because the only way you got there was vicious, messed up murder. <laughs> like, that's the only way you got You did not do it with good intent. Yeah. We know that much. Yeah, these veins are stored literally. They're between the lungs and the heart, and they're not very long, so there's that. So, like we mentioned earlier, blood vessels play a huge role in the regulation of blood pressure. Um because the container has such a big impact on generating pressure, if that container is smaller, so the blood uh, vessels constrict, that's going to cause the blood pressure to raise. If they dilate, that's going to cause blood pressure to uh, fall. Blood vessels also play a huge role in temperature regulation by using the same thing. Here's Thanks. a fun fact. Fun fact. Elephants. Elephants. You ever see them flap their ears? Yeah. Why? I'm going to guess it's for cooling. So they will actually, they're very vascular. Okay. And they will die, their body, their body will dilate those and then they flap them like radiators to cool the uh, blood as it's going through its ears. Nice. And then it puts the cooler blood back into the central system. Yeah. And humans, I mean, we don't have giant ears to flap, but it's sort of the same mm, story in the sense that. Kind of do. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Thanks, Mark. Building my confidence. Um, <laughs> but our veins and arteries will dilate all the same. That's why if you notice you're out in hot weather and you look down at your arms, you have these huge veins. And when things get cold. Or somebody says, boy, you look really flushed. Yeah, exactly. That is your, that is your arteries and your veins dilating to get the blood to close to the surface so it can vent off heat. Absolutely. And so it has a huge role. Mm -hmm. in temperature regulation. So here are some problems that can happen with the container. So one of the big ones is an aneurysm or a rupture. So an aneurysm is basically a ballooning of a vessel wall. This is really more commonly a problem in arteries where you have pressure against this ballooning. How I usually um, describe it is if you see like your garden hose. Yeah. The weak spot in it. Yeah. It's a little more complex out. than this, but. Oh, not much more. Well, there's multiple layers in the artery, whereas it's just one for the for the. Uh, That's true. Garden hose. Well, unless you're talking about a uh, Rain Guard 2000 uh, 2016 edition hose, where you actually have multiple layers. One's going to be a synthetic bipoly layer. That's going to be followed by a wire mesh on the outside of the wire mesh you have, which is basically a typical polymer, a flexible polymer, of course, heat resistant. And that's going to be your multiple layers. Moving on. Uh, no, no, no. I really, I'm like 96 percent. That was all BS. Yeah, but that's mostly because you know me. Right. I admit, once I got going, it was going right. pretty no, good. No, it sounds convincing enough to put a 4% doubt in my mind. <laughs> Which, considering how well you know me, that's, that's good. Yeah, that was I'll, a, I'll take that. Chris and I have been known to have uh, very in-depth conversations about things we know nothing about. Yeah, very frequently, like medicine and uh, 
We've based a whole podcast on it. Yeah. No, we used to actually, we'd have third writers and we'd pretend we were elevator experts. Oh, yeah. And we'd have them going. And just, we just make up colossal amounts of BS. Okay, we had one person believing that the way an elevator works is that there's a giant spool at the top of the building that just turns and pulls the whole thing up. And it's not a counterweight at all. Mm-hmm. It's just a giant spool. Yeah. It can be very convincing. But yeah, so an aneurysm is a ballooning or it's a weakening of that vessel wall. And this can uh, can rupture. And when this ruptures, it causes massive blood loss. Uh, an aortic aneurysm, with the aorta being the largest artery in your body, then it, it's literally the size of a garden hose. Mm-hmm. Um, if that ruptures, I mean, literally, unless you're on the OR table, it's lights out. Uh, John Ritter died. And even if you're on the OR table, chances ain't good. Right, exactly. Because your body pushes so much blood through the aortic uh, artery mm-hmm. that they just won't be quick enough. To be able to fix it before your blood, you've completely bled out. And even if they got to the site, I mean, can you, I mean, you'd have to suction out that blood. You'd have to find it. You'd have to repair it. You'd have to replace the blood volume mm-hmm. before the brain dies. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. You've and, got, you, and that is a limited amount of time. Absolutely. You can also have aneurysms, though, in your brain. Yeah. A brain aneurysm can, can absolutely happen. And brain aneurysms really aren't dangerous necessarily for the volume of blood that they lose. It's just the fact that these will place pressure uh, on the area of the brain as well as you'll lose blood flow to that area of the brain because the artery yeah, it's itself. Not, uh, it's not the amount of blood. It's what it does in the limited amount of space yeah. that there is. And if you want to know more about that, right. check out our head trauma episode. Or our CVA episode. Yeah, both of those. Great resources yeah. for that. Not or, and. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so dilation from pharmaceuticals, Mark had mentioned, uh, earlier, uh, pharmaceuticals have an impact on the heart rate. Well, right. pharmaceuticals can have, an, have, can have an impact on, uh, the dilation of your blood vessels. Well, we talked about nitroglycerin. Absolutely. And Viagra, for example, right. when combined with nitroglycerin, this is why we ask if we have to give someone nitroglycerin for chest pain or for congestive heart failure, we always ask if they're taking Viagra or Cialis or any of the erectile any, dysfunction meds. Exactly. Yeah, because these medications also cause a dilation of blood vessels. You combine them, you get a substantial dilation of blood vessels. A potentiation. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I know. There you go. Just looked it up online. We just did a fist bump. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Great radio, I'm telling you. <laughs> so, so um, well, yeah. The other continu- medications could be like uh, opioids. Absolutely. So this is one of the things, one of the reasons to not do heroin. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, there's not many to not do it, but that's one, I guess. I, tr- I picked up a guy one time. Uh, How much did he weigh? Boom. Uh, we ran a call on a guy one time when I was a cardiac arrest. <laughs> and this guy is awake by the time I get up to the room. We were first on scene. My partner headed up with a cardiac monitor. I caught up with him with the other kids. Mm-hmm. I get up there. This guy's now kind of freaking out because we're in his room. Yeah. And my partner, who's brand new, is like, what's going on? What's going on? He's going, nothing. This guy's sitting on the floor of his room, and he's soaking wet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember this story. Right. So I go, what have you smoked? Nothing. There is a four-foot bong and a bag of weed beside <laughs> your bed. What have you been smoking? We'll be doing heroin. We're talking to this guy, scratching all over. Mm-hmm. Look around the place a little bit. This guy better not have scabies. <laughs> Why are you scratching? Well, that happens when I smoke heroin. Yeah, it's called an allergic reaction. You now have more reasons to not smoke, do heroin than the rest of us do. So. Uh, I believe the reason he was smoking heroin is the best part of the story. Because <laughs> he wanted to become a model. <laughs> and if anybody famous ever offered him heroin, he didn't want to seem lame. <laughs> So we got to the emergency room, and I had him tell the doctor that. And the doctor just looks at this guy and goes, and turned and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So if there's a dilation from pharmaceuticals, particularly an opioid, we'll give Narcan to try and correct that if mm-hmm. we have to. Uh, so cholesterol buildup. If it's nitroglycerin, we just tickled them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I do want to. I do want to tell everyone that one time, uh, so nitroglycerin is supposed to dissolve onto your tongue. I once witnessed Mark administer nitroglycerin to a patient. He said, "Don't chew it; let it dissolve." And the guy said, "Why shouldn't I chew it?" And he goes, "It's nitroglycerin. If you chew on it, it'll blow your face off." Yeah. Well, the best part about it is he's like, "Sir, 
<laughs> it's nitroglycerin. If you chew it, it'll blow your face off. And for the guy ended up actually having a good sense of humor, thank right. God. Um, Took him a second for that one to process. There was, though. For a little bit, he was kind of like, what is in my mouth? <laughs> you know, like that. Which, uh, if you haven't fact, woken up enough and wondered that. Then. And this is more of a Chris fun fact, where it's really not that fun, but it's a fact. Uh, we And where I worked in a different state, we carried the nitro spray, which Ooh. I liked much better than the tablets. But anyway, uh, getting ready to administer a spray. My partner hit a big bump in the road. Patient went down a little bit. My hand went up. As I was depressing the plunger, and I squirted it right up this guy's nose. Oh, Jesus. It still works. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it lots apparently of burns like hell. Lots of mucus membranes up there. <laughs> yeah. Did you act like you did it on purpose, sir? That's just a side no, effect. I apologize all the way to damn hospital. Oh, man. He was like, oh, he's grabbing his nose. He's like, it burns. It burns. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about things that burn, check out our STD episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right. So uh, cholesterol buildup, that can lead to uh, an increase in blood pressure. Uh, cholesterol buildup can also lead to um, atherosclerosis. Ooh. So what atherosclerosis is, this is a hardening of the blood vessels. This is where the uh, – much like Mark was talking about how the heart can lose elasticity, the blood vessels can also lose their elasticity. And this creates a couple problems. Uh, one, it can lead to the formation of clots because the plaque and cholesterol builds up and it gives place for clots to hang on to. It also narrows the passageway uh, of the arteries. And it also gives um, – and it also makes it difficult for your arteries to expand and contract to control blood pressure. As we talked about uh, earlier, that's kind of a critical function. And also there's something called neurogenic shock that can cause a massive dilation of uh, blood vessels. And it's basically where there's an injury to the spine and or to the central nervous system. And this causes the uh, blood vessels to uh, dilate. Container gets bigger. Blood pressure drops. So moving on, let's finally talk about that fluid. That fluid. That fluid. The red stuff, the life-giving red stuff that flows around my body. And I'm not talking about barbecue sauce. I wish you were, though. No, no, I'm kind of hungry. We actually, we actually did eat barbecue chicken before this, though. We did. It was I'm delicious. Hungry, though. It was good. Yeah, it was good. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, blood. Okay, so there are several components in your blood. First one's going to be plasma. <laughs> Every time I heard the word plasma, there used to be an old cartoon I saw a couple times when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And this guy's walking his dog. He gets hit by a car. The ambulance shows up, and the medic jumps out of the back. Plasma! Dog Plasma! And he mixes them up and he gives the human dog plasma. He gives the dog human plasma. And they change positions in life so the dog is now the human. (laughs) I hate it when that happens on the ambulance. (laughs) So plasma makes up 55% 55 of your blood volume. Uh, This is the fluid that blood uh, blood cells float in. It's 92% water. Uh, A lot of times you'll see plasma donation centers. And they can do quite a bit with plasma. They call it... uh, well, they can use it as a fluid expander so that if you have enough red blood cells but you're dehydrated, they can actually just give you pa- uh, packed plasma or give you plasma, I mean. And they also use it a lot in making uh, different medications. Oh, cool. You know. So you can actually, if you need to make some money, you can find a legitimate don- plasma donation center as opposed to those illegitimate ones that are out there. <laughs> <laughs> Back alley plasma center. Yeah, though, but someone's done it. If there's a way to scam somebody, somebody right. out there. Is, you know. Oh, yeah, come so you'll show up and they'll draw off plasma from your bloodstream. And you can do this a couple times a week uh, and get paid every single time. How much you'll get paid depending on the need at the time is obviously very much a supply and demand thing. But as opposed to donating blood, where they actually take like a, a pint of blood off of you, and you can only donate like once every 56 days, I believe. Hmm. Uh, plasma, people can do it, not necessarily twice a week, but like 1.75 times a week. So there's going to be time <laughs> where you need to let the body truly replenish it, but it doesn't take long to replenish plasma. Right. Uh, you have your red blood cells. These carry the oxygen from the lungs to the rest of the body, as well as CO2 from the cells back to the lungs. You have your white blood cells, or your WBC, and they're a major component of your body's immune system. Sounds like a radio station. It does. Or part of a rap song. Isn't that? Uh, yeah. Down with WBC, something like that. No, it's a oh, Snoop Dogg song. Anyway, in the LBC. Is that Snoop Dogg, or is that... Uh... Anyway, 
WBCs, white blood cells, are a major component of your body's immune system. Uh, they exist to identify, destroy, and defend against invaders. Uh, white blood cell count is often used as a diagnostic tool. So a while back, I... I just saw my typo to correct me up, sorry. Okay. Um, a while back, I had my appendix out. So I'm sitting in the ER room. In fact, you transported me when I got my appendix out. I helped you with that. You did. They used um, the IV I started, I think, through the whole thing, didn't they? They did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I made my own radio report. That's right. Yeah. Which I'll I say, I, I, I am not nervous about starting on IVs on anyone. I could give a shit. It's needed. It's my job. Right. Where's your arm? Here's my needle. Except when it's somebody you know and kind of like. All of a sudden, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't want to fuck this up. The one I liked was uh, your partner who was in training. And I yelled out that she now had two FTOs in the back of the ambulance, so yeah, don't no this pressure. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm sitting in the room. Surgeon comes in to talk to me, and he has a a person there in a white lab coat. So he comes walking, he sits down, and he starts talking to me. And he, I'm like, so they send you with a secretary these days? And they both kind of laughed. Now, I know that this is a medical student who's walk, walking around with a resident to get experience. <laughs> he's not really doing patient care because he's not he hasn't graduated medical school yet. But they'll go around and they kind of listen in and they help, you know, gives them, gets their feet wet. Yeah. So the resident's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it could be your appendix. Or, you know, we're going to go and do an exploratory thing. But your white blood cell counts just, it's way too high. It's like 27,000. That's just an odd number for an appendix. It's actually an even number. It's an odd number, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's an even number, but it's an odd number. Um, so as he's saying this, the person who's working the computer in the lab coat, who I basically just accused of being this guy's secretary. Perfect. Right. Uh, turns the screen and points at something. The guy goes, oh, no, your white blood cell counts 12,000, which is actually right in the perfect area for appendicitis. Huh. He looks at the guy and goes, who was I thinking about? <laughs> Instills confidence in your patients at that point. And the, the guy goes, oh, you know, guy like three rooms up probably. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that guy. Hey, man, good catch. And he goes to start talking to me again. And I go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hey, man, I really want to apologize about that secretary comment earlier because I really <laughs> feel like a jackass now. <laughs> Especially because he's the one that kind of got it right. Right. You know? <laughs> Thank God this guy isn't a vindictive human being because yeah. he's the one that kind of saved me on that one. Yeah. And so, like, white blood cell count, like, if it gets too high, it's indicative of an infection, like Mark's right. appendicitis. And then the, the how high it is will determine kind of the possibilities of what type of infection it is. Right. You can actually also have severe enough infections where your white blood cell count drops. The infection can start destroying or uh, diseases like HIV that target white blood cells. Right. You know, so uh, when you take an antibiotic, people think you're taking the antibiotic to cure the disease. And actually what you're taking an antibiotic to do is to assist the white blood cells so they can get ahead of the game. Right. So... Uh, platelets, uh, these are cells are also called thrombocytes. They clump together to form clots and prevent excess bleeding. So if you ever had a scab after injuring yourself, that is what happens to platelets when they die. Yeah. And, uh, platelets are also, I mean, as much as they're needed, sometimes clots are the cause of our problems too. So if you ever at a site of where a bunch of platelets die on your body and you want to pour one out for your homies, just make sure it's a uh, isopropyl alcohol. So it helps clean the site at the same time. Yeah, true. You Solid know. point. Yeah. I don't know if anyone drinks isopropyl alcohol. Uh, no, you're not actually, supposed you know, to. No, you can't. It's actually poisonous. Well, that that doesn't mean no one drinks it, though. Right. That's, you shouldn't. Yeah. But I'm saying if you're going to pour alcohol on the wound, make it isopropyl alcohol so that you pour one out for your homies, your dead platelet homies. Burn like a mother. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, isn't that a... Rap song also? Let's burn like a motherfucker. <laughs> I don't think so, but man, it's probably a good thing we checked the we checked the uh, explicit rocks <laughs> on our podcast. Right. So, so good. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, blood itself doesn't really do anything itself to control BP, uh, your blood pressure. However, other than the amount of blood you have, right? But I mean, the blood is basically just along for the ride, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just yeah, we're just free floating. Floating in the plasma. Um, however, the kidneys will release something called erythropoietin if the body detects a low level of red blood cells. Mm -hmm. That's a hormone that's going to stimulate the bone marrow. And this is a very long story short. Right. But, it's much more complex than Chris is about to. Yeah, but 
basically erythropoietin is a hormone. It makes its way to the uh, bone marrow, says, hey, start producing more red blood cells. So the bone marrow sites are going to be inside your long bones. Yeah, like your uh, humerus, your humerus, your uh, tibia, yeah. your uh, okay. humor. I just accidentally said humerus is a leg bone. Humerus is your arm bone. No, see, unlike you, I don't point out all your deficiencies. You probably should, though. Well, I think some point. people listen to this for... And actually, uh, I just kind of missed it. So right. <laughs> if I'd heard it, I would have totally pointed that out. <laughs> so the humerus is the bone in your upper arm. Your femur is the bone in your upper leg. The tibia is the front shin bone that you hit on the coffee table when you go out to do something in the living room in the middle of the night. Also called the goddammit bone. Exactly. Yeah. And these are all, these are the site. Oh, and then your sternum, uh, pelvis as well, I believe. Probably, yeah. uh, but this is where your bone marrow produces red blood cells. So, yeah. So anyway, back to Chris. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So that is uh, that is one of the ways that um, your body will increase blood volume. The other thing that uh, the blood does to help control blood pressure in a way is that, like we said, it'll form clots to stop bleeding, potentially saving someone from hypotension or too low of blood pressure right. just by losing volume. Uh, and then finally, uh, one major way the body will try and increase blood volume is through the kidneys. And we've kind of alluded to this already a few times, but uh, when we talked about Lasix, uh, however, kidneys will regulate the amount of sodium that's retained. Okay. So if you need to increase your blood volume, Again, another very long story short, but your sodiums will decide to retain, or I'm sorry, but your kidneys will decide to retain more sodium. Water follows sodium. If you want to check out our YouTube channel, should be right around the time we're releasing this episode, I'll have a video on there that shows a demonstration of water following sodium. But water naturally follows sodium just kind of based on the chemical properties of each. So the kidney retains this sodium and the excess water that also makes its way to the kidneys via the bloodstream is therefore retained. This puts water, which is a huge component of blood plasma, directly back into the blood volume itself, thus increasing your blood volume. And that is the huge leg of the cardiovascular system mm -hmm. is blood volume. And uh, so with that, that's kind of there you have it. We do have potential problems with the um, with with fluid would be bleeding or hemorrhage. Especially if you are on a blood thinner. Absolutely. Uh, you know, some of your common blood thinners would be like uh, heparin. Mm -hmm. Eliquis is a new one. Eliquis is a new one. Coumadin. Mm -hmm. um, and what these do is they, uh, they make it so your body has a harder time forming clots. Right. And potentially will destroy clots that have formed. Uh, Coumadin is very good at this, although you have to go in and get a test on a regular basis to make sure you're within a very specific range. Right. Eliquis is the new kid on the block. Uh, the benefit of Eliquis is that you don't have to get tested every week or every month. That's nice. Uh, heparin is generally used in the hospital setting only. It's very powerful. Now... They will use this for specific reasons, but these medications come with a drawback that they make you bleed more easily. Right. And so you can be more prone to bruising. Uh, if you have something that causes head trauma, you'd be more prone to, prone to bleeding or any trauma, really. You'd be more pr prone to internal bleeding. In fact, uh, we have something called the trauma system here where mm -hmm. Mark and I work. And the trauma system is basically where if someone has certain factors, be it the type of trauma they had or the medical history they have, um, determines if they might go to a different hospital that has more capabilities. And one of those factors is, is the patient on a blood thinner? Right. And that's a consideration for any paramedic um, with a patient. So um, you can have a naturally thin blood. Uh, hemophilia where, and this is, from what I understand, hemophilia is more prevalent upon in situations where you have a restricted genetic pool. Oh, like inbreeding. Inbreeding or, I mean, I know one of the things that, uh, one of the places where it really became prevalent was in royalty. Oh. Because you didn't have children outside of royalty or you didn't have legitimate children outside of royalty. Right. You know, and so when you had that limited genetic pool, one of the things that came out was hemophilia. I do want to be clear that we're not saying everyone that hemophilia is inbred. That's no, not, no, that's no, not, not at all. Thing. These are just somewhere where they're... Uh, where, it's, where it can be prevalent. Yeah. So hemophilia, but I mean, hem hemophilia, it, it's rare. 
And, you know, it, but it can be life-threatening very easily. Now, these days, they can give you medications to counteract that. Right. But they didn't know that back in the day. Yeah. Well, so that's pretty much it. That is kind of our overview of the cardiovascular system. And like I said earlier, each one of these three components we talked about, well, one of them already is its own podcast episode. That's Mm -hmm. our cardiology. Um, But you could talk about vasculature. You could talk about blood uh, for hours on end. Right. Uh, But I hope this served as a good overview. And, I mean, again, kind of the main key points is the cardiovascular system's job is to maintain, is basically to maintain blood pressure. Because all the other functions, whether it's temperature regulation, removing waste, delivering blood cell, uh, red blood cells, won't work if it can't maintain blood pressure. Right. And so these three components, they're all required to be working appropriately to do this. You can't have, like, you can't have a really good pump and a really good container. And no fluid. And no fluid. It won't work. Or have a container that's got a hole in it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you can't have a good pump and fluid with no container. Right. Otherwise or have good right. container and fluid, but the pump is not working properly. Absolutely. So all three of these things have to be firing. Right. And they all have ways to compensate and to help. But uh, but yeah. Yeah. That's it. Anything else? Nah, man. Good. Okay. So please reach out to us uh, on our social media. We are at MedSideStuff on Twitter. We're at MedicalStuff52 on Instagram, and we're at MedicalStuff on Facebook. We also have an email address, so please email me. Uh, e- me. We also have wow. an email address. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now you know what I think of this. So that, this Chris is- and I have joked in the past about once you get to reach a certain part, and now when we say in the past, this is literally when we're getting like four downloads a week. Oh, uh, yeah. That... You know, eventually we're going to have to break up over creative differences. We're going we're to Simon and Garfunkel this shit. Oh, yeah. That's what we're going to do. You know, do. I'm trying to determine if I want before my or after my drug phase. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? So. <laughs> anyway, you can email us email us at medsidestuff at yahoo.com. M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F at yahoo.com. We're on just about any podcast service you want to use. We're iTunes, on- Google. Spreaker, uh, Spotify, and iHeartRadio are the two most recent ones. Or you can go to our uh, hosting site, which is medicalstuff.podient.co. Yeah, and with that, toast. toast.